0: Uh, over the past couple of weeks, we've been going through uh, a series on prayer, as Dale had mentioned. I'm uh, really thankful for where he had gone this morning. I wasn't um, sure uh, what he was going to present this morning, but that connection to the Our Father prayer, uh, tying it to seeking His will instead of ours, seeking His kingdom uh, instead of ours, actually segues really, really well uh, into where we're going today. We've been looking at this and and who we pray to, God, the creator of the universe, uh, how prayer changes us, how prayer is a a tool and a weapon from God. Uh, And what we're going to be looking at this morning is an aspect of spiritual warfare, uh, but really within ourselves. Dale talked about that struggle to transform our mind, that that the changing of our desires from earthly desires into heavenly desires, and it's what we're called to do. uh, But a practical outworking of that internal battle is what we're going to be looking at uh, this morning, uh, going into 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, So if you have a Bible and you want to head there, uh, take your device and Click there, or we'll also have the verses up on the screens like they are. Uh, But before we read this, let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you this morning, uh, and we are so thankful for everything that you have done for us. Uh, We're grateful for your love in which you came down to offer your life as a sacrifice for us. We thank you for that uh, availability for redemption reconciliation with you, even though we were rebels and did not do anything to deserve grace and mercy, you freely gave it out of your love. Lord, we are thankful for that reconciliation, for the new relationship, the adoption uh, as sons and daughters. Uh, Lord, we are thankful uh, for the gift of prayer, for the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. Uh, And as we come to your holy word today, we ask that it would be alive and active Uh, in our hearts that would cleave down to bone and marrow uh, to the issues that we tend to hold on to or uh, do not submit to you. Uh, Pray that if there's conviction, we find conviction uh, that leads to uh, growth. And if we need encouragement or strengthening, Lord, we find those things in your word as well. Father, we thank you for this and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen all right so in second corinthians chapter 10 beginning in verse 3 uh, it says although we live in the flesh uh, and really all is meaning right there is like like right now while we walk this earth like we have skin and bones um so we have this this flesh um that we're living in that will get hurt and wounded and heal and god has uh, created us and designed us uh, in a very specific way but he says although we live here on this earth in the flesh, uh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they're powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. Uh, And so really what he's saying here is like, uh, because uh, we have been redeemed, because we've been adopted, we're now part of the kingdom of God, uh, we are no longer simply human. We're no longer simply just tied to this earth and trying to, to get by, but, but rather our eyes have been opened to the spiritual reality that's existed around us this entire time. We've been adopted as children of God and then equipped by Him to make an impact in this world, to be salt and light. He, he's freed us from sin and death and addiction and darkness in order then to equip us uh, to go out in the world and help others do the same thing to find Christ, and to be freed. And so our battle is no longer simply trying to exist on this planet, but our battle now is equipped by a holy God, through powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. and We take every thought captive to obey Christ now this is a verse that we've looked at a, a few times through this series uh, again acknowledging our supernatural existence th- that our life is so much more than than rolling out of bed in the morning wondering what our job's going to be like what are we going to have for breakfast do we have to go to the grocery store what bills are due uh do we have to take the dog out in the cold uh is it going to want to go out in the cold because i don't <laughs> you know but uh so glad we don't have outhouses right now (laughs) like like that thought just popped into my mind like 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 this idea i've got a little boston terrier at home and 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 so like it doesn't have much hair if you know a boston terrier is it's really thin and so in weather like this like we open up the back door we're like all right there you go and she just looks at me like really and i'm like yep (laughs) close the door behind her i'm just glad we don't have to do that uh go out into outhouses in this weather Uh, But a point, again, is that our life is supernatural. It's not just about taking the dog out. It's not just about what we're going to eat or how we're going to pay our bills. But if we've been redeemed, if we found forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, Ephesians says that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Philippians says that God began a work in us that he will be faithful to complete. and Corinthians, we're called to be ambassadors. In Peter, we are a royal priesthood. And so our life is no longer just simply our day-to-day trying to exist on this earth, but rather something that is supernatural as we're adopted into the family of God. We're called to carry the light of the hope of the gospel For the freedom of people still trapped in darkness and sin and addictions. And we are supernaturally equipped to do this. We've looked at this passage in that our weapons uh, are not according to the flesh. They're, They're not swords and shields or sticks and stones or bullets. But rather through the power of God. Even as we go through uh, the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, and it uses the analogy of a sword, it's not talking about a physical sword made of steel. It's talking about the Word of God. The inspired Word given to us to equip us and sustain us while we're still here on mission for God. When it talks about uh, a shield, it, it is a shield of faith. In The Greek, it's the word "pistis," which means uh, absolute trust in God. And so when the attacks of the enemy come, uh, we're not trying to like cower beside, behind some physical thing, but rather we stand firm in the faith of God, trust in Him saying, whatever the enemy's saying, whatever doubts or lies he's throwing at me, they don't matter because they're not true, because this is my trust in God. And that's what I stand on. And so as we look here within this passage about the weapons of our warfare and and what we're fighting against, we need to really truly consider this because we don't want to do it in our own strength. We, We don't want to try and accomplish it within ourselves, our own power, because these weapons of warfare are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. It's submitting to Him, again, to His will your will be done on earth as it is in heaven your kingdom come yours not mine and so we want to take every thought uh, in submission to god or or take every thought captive to obey christ as this passage is saying it's what our father prayer is doing i submit to you i submit to you you are lord you are my father in order to consider how to take every thought captive uh, we need to identify these strongholds uh, that we need to demolish within ourselves and this verse brings out some we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of god and we take every thought captive to obey christ now these verses point out to to various ways uh, that there can be areas within us where we actually choose uh, to resist god Sometimes it might be an act of choice. I, I'm choosing to, to, to ignore God in this situation. I'm choosing not to go there. I'm going to deal with it later. Uh, and some of these things might be uh, a passive thing or something that we've never dealt with. One of the first ones uh, is an unbelieving argument uh, against God. It's this sense of, uh, I don't believe God even exists. And we come up with all these different arguments uh, and reasons or theories of evolution to try and explain how we're here, absence an uh, existence of a God who created all things out of nothing. And yet this theory is taught as fact, even though it's only ever been a theory. And so this would be an example of, of an unbelieving argument that is used to deny the existing, the existence of God. Some other arguments would, would argue against a coming judgment of God. And, and to say, well, God is just love, and, and God won't uh, destroy the wicked, and everybody's going to be saved, and there's many paths to salvation, and it doesn't have to be Christian. It could be Muslim. It could be Hindu. It could be Buddhist. It could be kumbaya those are unbelieving arguments that resist the truth where jesus christ himself came and he says there's only one way to the father and that is through me an unbelieving argument sets those things aside and reality is then a stronghold within a person because they don't want to believe that truth they don't want to accept it. They don't want to consider it. They don't want to uh, acknowledge the, the miraculous existence of our lives. And as we went through our series for Christmas, we, we looked at that, the, the miraculous nature of our creation and the way that our DNA is combined together the way that the solar system is created down to minute details, that we could only exist, and the sheer probability of all that happening by chance takes more faith than saying, there is a God who just spoke it and designed it into existence. But that can be a stronghold for somebody. If they have this unbelief, then they're not willing to consider the reality of God existing. And if they're not willing to consider the reality of God existing, Then there's no need to consider their need for salvation and rescue because there's nothing to be rescued from. The next thing we have are proud ideas that are elevated above God. Uh, Pharaoh did this in a sense. I know Pharaoh is the one who who believed in different gods, and yet when Moses came and he's saying, uh, The Lord wants you to set his people free, uh, Pharaoh's response in that sense was, Well, who is the Lord? Who is he that I should be concerned about what he thinks or what he wants to do? And it was this prideful and lofty thought that lifted himself up above God. The sense of why do we need him? Why do we need a God? I can take care of things in my own strength. We can do that as Christians sometimes. We would try and solve our own issues. We would try to... to, Fix our marriages without relying on the power of God. We, we try and work out uh, ideas with finances, relationships with other people, even our struggle against sin. How often do we start off by trying to do it within our own strength, within our own willpower, instead of acknowledging there's a God who can help me? And in fact, He's designed this whole process as I trust in Him and use the shield of faith then I can stand against the temptations of the enemy. But yet, how often is our first response to go and try and do it in our own strength by our own willpower? And how often does that actually work out for us? And so we can have strongholds within our life if there's areas within us where we sit there and say, well, I don't need God to help me with that. Who's the Lord for that situation? I've got this handled. Instead of submitting to him in All things. Uh, Another thing that we can fall into then uh, are worldly thoughts. Uh, It could be the cares and and pleasures of this life, uh, a pursuits of things here on the earth, whether it would be comforts or a sense of security as we try to alleviate our worries and our concerns. And in all of these things, all we're doing is trying to take care of temporary things instead of considering the eternal aspect of everything that's connected as the way that we live and reflect Christ. At the men's group this last Tuesday, and kind of talking about this concept uh, as we were going through uh, Romans chapter 12, we were talking about spiritual gifts uh, a little bit and what we're comfortable with and not comfortable with when it comes to those uh, gifts. But uh, Jaden uh, brought up a quote by Ignatius. I wanted to share it. He's like, uh, Ignatius said, What is considered uh, a natural quest for security and happiness? Uh, and so, again, that's what humanity does. We try to pursue uh, a sense of security and safety. We, we want our houses to be sound. We want to be able to uh, have food and shelter, uh, clothing. That's all a sense of security. Or pursuing a quest of happiness uh, is to try and find fulfillment. It's a seeking of fame. It's a seeking of accomplishment or uh, confirming our identity in, in things of this world. So what is considered a natural quest for security and happiness is really a life lived according to the dictates of death. Constantly seeking bodily and psychology or psychological security of existence and worth. I just think about that for a second our desire for a sense of security really comes from a sense of self-preservation. I want to make sure that I'm safe. I want to make sure that I have enough food, that I have enough clothing. I want to make sure that I'm happy, that I feel fulfilled, that, that my life and how I want it to be is worth something. And all of that's predicated on the idea of of death, meaning uh, if I don't have enough food, I will die. If I don't have a sense of accomplishment uh, in my life before I die, then what was my life actually worth this whole time? And it's based on on this idea of we exist for a time, we die and then we're gone, and we want to to prolong the time uh, that we're gone as long as possible. It is a purely earthly mindset versus a, a mindset based on Christ and the cross that says, uh, I'm redeemed. And the 24 hours of existence that I happen to be in the middle of right now, what is that in the light of all eternity? My, my sense of trying to have comfort or, or having a sense of accomplishment over my hobby What is that in the light of eternity? Worrying and striving so much in order to provide for myself, out of my own strength, a sense of security? What is that sense of security in the light of Romans chapter 8 that sees neither death nor all these things can separate us from the love of Christ and take us out of His hand? This idea of living eternally with God should transform the way that we approach things and should really put into perspective our sense of what is security, what is comfort, what is joy. And the more that we place them uh, into temporary things, uh, the more that our sense of security or comfort or joy or happiness can be shaken and rocked by the circumstances around us that are happening here on earth. Versus the more that we anchor ourselves in the the idea of this little 24-hour period of time. Like, like I'm not going to remember this day or this Super Bowl in five years from now. I'm not going to remember what I had for breakfast three days from now. Like, compare that to all of eternity. We sit here and, you know, we we say 24 hours and we've got this, you know, little brick on the wall right here and and say this represents, you know, just one day and then take a look around at how many other bricks are on this wall and you don't even see the ones that are going down into the foundation. And if we took time, we could count all of those up and we could say, okay, well, that was one day. You know what? There's 50,000 bricks in here. And so therefore it's like one in 50,000, but, but again, you, you take just today into the light of 365 days uh, in a year, but then you have a decade uh, and so then you have 3,560 days uh, and then you go into hundred years and I'm not going to try and do the math <laughs> going on from there, even though it's just adding zeros, but a thousand years from now, thousand years from now, are we going to even consider this election cycle? 10,000 years from now, what is COVID? A hundred years from now, what does even your worst day mean? Especially when you're spending it with Jesus Christ. And all of it was just meant as a preparation. And he would use all things for your good and helping you to grow and to be ready to spend all of eternity with him. But yet we can have these strongholds in our life when we have worldly thoughts that are so anchored on the cares and pleasures of this life that we try to protect temporary things and not submit them to God. God, God, I want to follow you in my life. I want to give everything to you, but I just really need this much time in order to do my hobby. I want to do everything, for you, but I just want to hold on to this idea of I need to have so much money uh, in the bank. Uh, otherwise, I, I don't feel like I'm prepared for whatever might come. And yet Matthew 6 says that he takes care of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. And if we seek first the kingdom, he adds these other things to us. So why should we be worried about what we're going to eat or drink or how we're going to be clothed? That's a hard thing for us. Because on a day like this, we want to have clothing. We want to be warm. We want to be protected. We want to have a roof over our head and food in our refrigerator. And to take Matthew 6 at face value is a challenge to the strongholds where we trust in temporary things of this world more than we trust in the promises of God. And if we don't allow Him to work in those areas, there's going to be areas in our life that will be shaken and rocked when um, we have a shutdown and people can't work. Or GM closed. Or who knows what's going to happen in 2021 or beyond. But if we can be anchored, if we allow God and the Holy Spirit to work uh, in these areas... We can find a trust in him, that shield of faith, that reliance on him, that whatever comes, that this is just a temporary moment in the light of all of eternity, and God will use it. And so we can demolish those strongholds by turning to Christ. Focusing on the world uh, isn't the only way uh, that we can resist God or have strongholds within our life. It it could be trusting in our own acts of righteousness. It could be our own self Righteousness that creates a stronghold within us, where we give concessions to areas of Christ in some parts of our life. Look what I did for you. I went out and I, I fed people, I, I went out and I did some evangelism. I, I came and I helped at church i shared my faith with this person and we look at all the good things that we do and we say okay well i did these great things uh, and so therefore i'm good with god and to me one of the most sobering verses of the scripture uh, is where jesus is sitting there and he's saying on that day on the day of judgment there, there'll be many that come to me saying lord didn't we cast out demons in your name didn't we accomplish this in your name And Jesus says, I tell you, I will tell them, I never knew you. And so this concept of us doing good things and feeling that we're secure because what we have done actually can become a stronghold within our own life because then we're just trusting what we did instead of acknowledging it's all what Jesus did at the cross. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's love or His forgiveness, but He gave it freely to us anyways. There's nothing that we can do to, to hold on to or maintain that relationship with Him. It's just what Jesus did on the cross where He paid all in order to offer a path of salvation as we turn to Him as our Lord and as our Savior. That's all He asks of us is to submit to him but if we hold on to what we have accomplished what we have done whether it be things within christian life or even just good deeds they can become strongholds because we trust in those more than we trust in what christ accomplished at the cross our justification of being a good christian is look what i did instead of jesus did this and in the same way, as I mentioned before, if we do that in these little areas, we also can block off parts of our own heart where we just we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and certain sins in our life or temptations or uh, the way that we spend our time. And we're like, oh, I'll deal with that later. Well, I'm going to deal with it a little bit. But I'm just, I don't feel ready to go into it. And so in reality, we're blocking off parts of ourselves. And we're saying, God, I want you to work, uh, but let's schedule this one for later. Instead of submitting to him as he works within us. The opposite of this self-righteousness can be a a sense of false humility uh, or desponding thoughts that can be strongholds within us. This idea of there's no hope for me. I'm too terrible. I'm too bad. I'm too wicked. I've done X, Y, and Z. And because of that, why would God ever forgive me? I'm too far gone. And we put those strongholds in our life where we will not even accept the forgiveness of God that he freely gives because we've judged ourselves and said, there's no hope for me. God can't change me. God can't work on me. There's a sense of shame. There's a sense of failure from our past deeds or maybe even something that's been done to us. And because of that, we feel broken. We feel unlovable, unforgivable. I've had conversations with people who, who feel this way, and it's one of the most heartbreaking things to me. To, to be able to say, here's God, the creator of the universe, who spoke all things into existence. He came down into this earth in order to live as fully God, fully man. To, to offer up his life as a perfect sacrifice for the payment of our sins. Nothing we could earn, nothing that we could do. Only He could accomplish this. And as He did it and died on the cross, rose and began the path to a new life through His resurrection for us to be reconciled with God. His offer then to anyone is come who are weary, come and drink from the wellspring of life, be restored, and come into relationship. He offers this freely regardless of what you've done. Just repent of your sins and then walk with him and then he'll do the work that changes you. Yeah, but he, he, I've done this in my life. I've had an abortion. I had this sin. I did this wicked thing. And so why would he forgive me? But do you realize that, that Scripture says he knows you in your mother's womb, that he knitted you together, that he knows how many hairs are, are on your head, that, that he sings with you as you sleep. He sings over you and that he dances exultingly over you and, and desires uh, as a father in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son as a father who sits there waiting and watching eagerly to see his son returning and then running to welcome him back. This is what Jesus said it will be. But this type of stronghold still causes somebody, even in the face of all that truth, to say, but I'm not worthy. Okay, okay. Do you get that, that you are an imperfect human being and that you have sin in your life and you have mistakes? Absolutely. Do you get that God, who is absolutely perfect, already knew that about you when He came down to the cross? That that Ephesians chapter 2, that says, even while we were dead in our sin and trespasses, because of His great love for us, knowing the depths and darkness within our hearts, already knowing that, He willingly still came in order to die for you. Because the power of the Creator of the universe is much greater and stronger than any depth of darkness that you've experienced in your own life. And in fact, when he came in one of the first times that he was preaching, he opened up the scroll to Isaiah and said that he's there to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring sight to the blind, and to set free the captives. And that's us. He already knew that's where we were when He came. And so we have to be cautious about these strongholds in our life that would allow lies to say that that we're not worthy of that. And God's reply to that is, but I'm doing it anyways. I'm giving love and grace and mercy anyways. And so He's worked within us in all these things. How do we know if they're in our life? How do we know if these strongholds are within us? Because again, some of us, as we're sitting here and we're listening to this, there may be areas of our life where we actively resist God, where we actively set up these places of resistance within us. And as we're going through these passages, uh, maybe the Holy Spirit's been working on you in some of those areas already. But at the same time, there can be parts of us uh, that are passive that are there because of the experiences that we've had or the way that we were raised or the beliefs that we've had? That, that how do we know those strongholds are there and, and whether or not we need to deal with them? Uh, and the truth of it is, uh, is again through Scripture. We look at Hebrews uh, and it talks about the Word of the Spirit is like a two-edged sword cleaving down to bone and marrow, meaning, meaning that it divides down to the deepest part within us and exposes it and so there's that aspect uh, of scripture that reveals those deep areas that need to be addressed james uh, chapter one talks about the word being that as we look in our life and examine ourselves against scripture we can sit there and see different areas within us that don't line up with Scripture. And so we can use the Word of God uh, in order to discern some of these things. I think one of the passages that works really well for this uh, is Galatians chapter 5, beginning verse 16. Uh, Here Paul writes, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire uh, of the flesh. And so again, he's talking about this uh, juxtaposition between uh, walking in the Spirit and following God with our mindset on eternity versus walking in the flesh within our own strength with our mindset on earthly, temporary things. Uh, If you walk by the Spirit, you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh the flesh desires what is against the Spirit. The Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And again in this, that verse 18, led by the Spirit, not under the law, uh, is really talking about a relationship with God. That that our relationship, our our, uh, connection to God is not dependent on, upon how obedient we are and how many things we get right versus how many things we get wrong. That was the Mosaic Law. When Christ came, uh, he transformed this into a new relationship so that if we walk by the Spirit as adopted children of God, Jesus fulfilled the law for us. And so no longer is it about how obedient we are, but rather or not, we actually abide in Christ, which is in John chapter 15. Uh, But here in verse 19 talks about the works of the flesh uh, are obvious. And so again, these are things uh, that happen because of an earthly temporary mindset. Concerned about our own sense of safety, our own sense of security, our own sense of happiness are the things that we want. uh, Our own pride um, living towards an idea of death and trying to build our own kingdom versus uh, submitting to the Lord. So, in trying to build our own kingdom, our own desires, the works of the flesh are obvious in verse 19. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, uh, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so there's some really cut and dry aspects that Scripture clearly points out. These are sin. And if you continue to pursue these things while claiming Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you you have strongholds in your life where you're still holding on to some of those clearly things defined by Scripture that are contrary to the will of God. And so you're resisting in these areas. But then he continues on about the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22. Uh, and so this is the result of allowing the Holy Spirit to work within us, to transform us. We have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The love is not against us things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. When we look at this list, uh, and this list is used as the way to show this is what the Spirit does within us. But I also think that this list can be used to help reveal strongholds within our life where we're not submitting to Christ. We may not have aspects of, of drunkenness. We may not have jealousy, outbursts of anger. We may not have sexual immorality within our life. These things were like, okay, I'm not doing that, so I must be doing all right. Well, let's take a look at the fruit of the Spirit. How are you with joy? Joy that's not dependent upon circumstances. But joy that's anchored in Christ in all circumstances. How well do you experience joy regardless of what's happening in the world around you? That is a fruit of the Spirit. It's an aspect where God wants to work within our hearts and transform us. If you struggle with joy there might be a stronghold that that's pointing to. Because this is where God wants to take you. It's what he wants to grow within you. And if there's areas of your life that you're struggling with a joy that transcends all circumstances, it might be pointing to the fact that you're still leaning on circumstances to create your joy more than you're leaning on Christ. And it's an area that God wants to work in and for us to tear down. The same with kindness. How are you in being kind to people? How's your self-control? In the way you interact with people? Maybe it's self-control in how much time you devote to television. Maybe it's self-control in how much you eat. Self-control in all aspects of our life. If we struggle with that, it might be pointing to strongholds in our life that we're turning to those things. We're, we're turning to uh, television and all these hours uh, on television in order to kind of check out from this life and to use it to kind of get away from stress. A- instead of going to Christ and saying, I need you to work in this. I want to do it in your strength. Instead of saying, in my strength, I'm going to turn on Netflix. and I'm just going to check out for a while can be a stronghold in our life that we need to destroy because we're using it as an idol because we're turning to it instead of christ and it's something that needs to be torn down now what we're talking about here all these different areas it's an ongoing daily fight because we live here and now like like as we're sitting here and as we're talking like we have our flesh and our bones and we have the physical ground beneath our feet or your seats. We live here and we get hungry. And so there is a national drive within us to make sure that we have food. And yet we're called to consider in Ephesians chapter 2, we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms right now. And so there's this tension that we're called to live Daily to turn our minds, to renew our minds, to, to consider God's will be done instead of our own. It's an ongoing daily fight, uh, and one that we are to acknowledge is true, but also to embrace it with joy. James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Consider it great joy when you go through trials and testing of your faith. This tension, this daily tension between I live here on earth with flesh and bones, and yet I'm seated in heavenly realms, this daily tension causes a refining aspect within our lives. In the Greek here, this word testing of your faith uh, is almost like um, the refining of gold or silver where where it's melted down and all the impurities will will float to the surface and and then they're kind of skimmed off uh, and so that the only thing left uh, is the pure gold. Through that refining process, it's tested and made stronger and more valuable. It's the same thing within our lives, that God uses to transform us, to refine us, to the point where it says you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing, because if you had endurance in being faithful through this testing. And so therefore, consider it joy. Consider it joy when you're going through this, because it has a result. Uh, As some of you know, uh, I've gone into this whole running Uh, journey this year. I put a video up um, two days ago. Uh, It was a 10 below wind chill. I was in like mile four out of five. Um, And for some reason, I had this whim to like pull down my face mask and let the wind hit me and like have a video um, to kind of talk about that. But that process of of this testing and enduring and it having results uh, is something that's been very physically tangible to me this year. Seven months ago, I, I wouldn't have even comprehended or even thought of the idea. Like, let me just go for a run for over a mile. Um, didn't even want to do it. But then through that, kind of getting into some of these goals and, and feeling called by God to focus on this a little bit and trying to step out in faithfulness and beginning into a program, um, started running. Now, I, I wish that it was like super easy. Like, yeah, just walk out the door, put one foot in front of the other uh, for five miles in a row, and then you'll get home, and great, it's done. But, but there's been so much that my, it was a point as I was trying to run, uh, my right foot would go numb all the time. Like, 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 almost like completely dead in my foot. And so at that point, it was a choice to either be like, you know what, running's not for me, or to try and figure it out. And through the process of trying different shoes and different methods and having somebody kind of help me and other people holding me accountable to continue to put in effort, uh, we're able to kind of figure it out so where my foot doesn't go numb anymore. And and so then I was able to run farther and and so on. That aspect of of that testing and refining, producing something, is something I physically have experienced through this aspect of starting to run this year. That's just a reflection. It's an imperfect reflection of what God does within us. As you continue to turn to Him, as you're faced with this tension between responding out of our fleshly, earthly, temporary existence or responding out of an eternity-minded, seated with Christ, uh, and with Him, nothing can separate me from Him, and all things that I face in this life, I can face in His power. As we go through that process and turn to Him, He uses it as a refining process to strengthen us, to grow us. And it won't be perfect, and we'll make mistakes at times, but His grace and His mercy are there, and His love is there. Just one practical aspect of this uh, that's been new for me, and I found it to be so helpful, uh, was a suggestion from my wife, Angie. Angie. And I was talking to her and I'm like, like when these things pop up, like, like how do we like get rid of them? Like, yeah, I'm acknowledging here's this tension and I don't want this tension. Uh, And she said, you know what I've been doing lately that's been really helping me out? Is she pictures this idea of the refining process. You've got the ore and you start melting it and the dross and the imperfections come to the surface as the uh, ore is tested and then it's skimmed off. And what she said was, um, as I go through life, and as I start to realize that something fleshy, that something of the earth, something of my own nature, something of my own strength pops up, I ask God to skim it off. To to say, well, it's being tested, and it's rising to the surface. God, would you take it away? And so, this sense of impatience. You know, I, I want my dog to go out and go to the bathroom and it's 10 below out and and she's not moving and i don't want to sit there anymore And, and so this impatience is coming up within me like i'm not gonna let you poop in the house so we're gonna stand out here until you do the business and then like i'm getting cold then and i'm feeling like this impatient rising up within me and this sense of like wow i'm being impatient right now god would you take that away Would you skim it off the surface now that it's been brought up over the situation with my dog? Skim it off. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to struggle with impatience down the road. But what it means is in that moment, I step back from my physical existence on earth, my physical response of impatience, And I acknowledged a supernatural existence of my Creator and Savior who will give me strength to face all circumstances and said, God, would you help me in this situation? It has brought the battle into the spiritual, the strength of God through the demolition of strongholds. It's saying the weapon is me turning to Christ instead of me just saying, you know what? I'm going to grin and bear it right now. And dog, I can outlast you. But the same thing in our marriages. We can be impatient with our spouse or our children. Maybe we're angry with somebody at work or a situation that we're facing. And at any time that thing kind of rises up, if, if we can just have this passage in James saying, this is a testing of my faith that will produce endurance. This is a refining process, and there's going to be junk that bubbles up. God, would you skim it off? doesn't mean that you'll never face it again but it does mean in that moment you're not trusting your own strength in that moment you're following second corinthians chapter 10 where the weapons of your warfare are not of the flesh but powerful through god to demolish strongholds to demolish arguments every proud thing that's raised up against the knowledge of god And by taking away that dross and saying, God, would you take away this selfishness? Would you take away this anger? Would you take away this lust? Would you take away whatever bubbles up? We're taking every thought captive to Christ. And we're using His strength and His armor and our trust in Him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Thank you for your holy word and the reality that we are not on our own on this planet that's spinning around the sun to face whatever may come, but you, through your death on the cross, through your grace and your mercy, through your redemption of us, have chosen not only to wash us clean through your sacrifice on the cross, but you've chosen to walk with us to deposit the Holy Spirit in us, to equip us to do spiritual battle here for as long as we may exist on this planet for the tearing down of strongholds within ourselves and to help others do it as well. Lord, I pray that you would reveal the lines that we may have accepted about ourselves or about our identity Lord, I pray that if there's areas within us that are hidden that we do not realize, that by your Spirit you would reveal them so that we may choose to have you work and to remove the dross that comes. And Father, I pray there's areas in my life, there's areas in our lives where we willingly choose to resist. I pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.